0: text for this morning's sermon is Matthew 1 verse 16 Matthew has been tracing the genealogy of Jesus Christ uh, from Abraham through David all the way through to his birth, and we read the last part of that. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christmas season is upon us again. You notice that in society all around us. The radio stations and stores are playing the Christmas carols, the shopping malls are getting busier by the day, and various Christmas functions are being held. The focus of our society tends to be on the glitter and the glamour of lights, of parties and presents. Our society tries to sell the message, tis the season, to be jolly. Yet for many people, the Christmas season is one of stress and of deep unhappiness. In a way, this is understandable. There's a lot of pressure to be happy. But society offers no basis for any kind of joy. Have you ever told yourself to be happy? And how did that work for you? Manufacturing happiness doesn't work. Trying to be happy when you're faced with trials and sorrows in life is difficult. There may be an occasion or event that pulls you out of the doldrums for a few hours but you will not derive sustained joy from outward things. For many in our society, Christmas has become an empty celebration. When you take Christ out of Christmas, all you're left with is the external trappings of the season. That applies to us as much as to all those in society around us. For many of us, The gospel of grace is something that we've been brought up with or something that's become very familiar to us our familiarity can cause us to lose a sense of wonder at God's grace in sending his son into this world do we still stand in awe At God's wondrous work of causing Jesus to be born in human flesh through the Virgin Mary. In the past weeks, we've paid attention to how Matthew's lineage, leading to the birth of the Messiah, includes five women. In Jewish culture, women are not normally included in genealogies. The family name was passed on through the male heir. For Matthew, to include so many women in Jesus' lineage was astounding. Matthew also chooses to include mainly women from a Gentile background. Some of them appear to be of low moral character. Tamar slept with her father-in-law, Judah. Rahab was a prostitute. Bathsheba was the woman with whom David committed adultery. This morning we focus on the last woman included in Matthew's genealogy, on Mary. Outwardly, she was a poor woman from Nazareth, a backwater town in Israel. Someone with nothing going for her. By worldly standards, she was a nobody, a loser. Yet God saw her and chose her to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. He gave her an exalted position in his kingdom work. God often chooses the lowly and despised of this world, and he works powerfully in and through them. It's a reminder for us, to give God the glory for his awesome salvation work. I preach you the gospel under the following theme. Christ's genealogy shows how God chose Mary to be the most favored mother in Israel. We'll consider how Mary is favored by the Lord and how Mary accepts her calling with faith. In his genealogy, Matthew traces the lineage of Joseph back to King David, Joseph was officially part of the royal family. The same applies to his wife, Mary. Luke 2 tells us that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be registered. Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary. Joseph and Mary both needed to register in Bethlehem because they were part of King David's lineage. Yet from their outward circumstances, you would never guess that Joseph and Mary were part of the royal family. You see, beloved, there was not much left of the royal family anymore. Since the time of the return from exile, Israel had been under the rule of foreign nations. We know from Daniel's prophecies and from other historical sources that the Greeks had brought much trouble on Israel. Consider what happened in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes during the second century before Christ. After pretending peace. He sacked the city of Jerusalem and killed tens of thousands of the men. He took captive the women and children and plundered the city. The king then wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, that each should give up his own customs. Antiochus sent messengers to Jerusalem forbidding the daily sacrifices, The sacrifices presented before God each morning and evening. Without these sacrifices, public worship was impossible. Instead, Antiochus set up idolatrous altars. He ordered the Jews to offer and eat unclean sacrifices. His hatred for the Jews was so great that if any Jew participated in any Jewish ceremony, the penalty was Death. Antiochus Epiphanes' opposition to the Lord God became clear in an infamous event that occurred December 16, 19, 167 before Christ. He made the Lord's temple in Jerusalem a place of worship for the Greek god Zeus. Antiochus had an image of Zeus put into the temple and then he sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, on the altar. The blood of the pig was smeared all over the inside walls of the temple, completely defiling it. Under the Maccabees, God's people revolted. They waged bloody warfare against the Greeks for many years. About a century later, the Roman ruler Pompey captured Jerusalem and subjected Israel to Roman rule. During the time when Joseph and Mary lived, an uneasy truce had developed between the Romans and the Jews. The Jews were subject to the Romans, but the Romans allowed the Jewish religious leaders to exercise oversight in religious matters. Thus, although Joseph and Mary were officially part of the royal house, the royal house no longer ruled over the land. We don't know why, but this family in David's line no longer even lived near their ancestral home. Bethlehem was part of Judea. It was located only nine kilometers from Jerusalem. Yet they lived in Nazareth, a small hick town in Galilee. Galilee was in the far northern part of Israel, Nazareth was 150 kilometers from Jerusalem. It was separated from Judea by Samaria, a territory most Jews would avoid as the Samaritans were despised by all Jews. Not only was Galilee quite far from Jerusalem geographically, generally Galilee was looked upon negatively. Galilee had a more racially mixed population. Smaller conservative Jewish towns like Nazareth and Capernaum were in close proximity to large pagan centers. Matthew 4 tells us that after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee and lived in Capernaum in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew refers to this area as Galilee of the Gentiles because of its mixed population of Jews and Gentiles. The Judeans despised their northern neighbors as country bumpkins. The Judean opinion was that the Galileans were lax in their observance of proper rituals. This problem was made worse by the distance between Galilee and the temple, and the theological leadership in Jerusalem. The Galileans spoke a distinct form of Aramaic, which was the butt of Judean humour. The result was that even an upstanding Jew from Galilee was not well accepted in Jerusalem. His accent would mark him as a foreigner as much as an Irishman in London or an American Southerner. In our midst, the prejudices of the supposedly superior culture of the capital city would mark any Galilean as being not one of us. We see this demonstrated in the attitudes of Nathanael, whom Jesus called to be one of his disciples. Philip approached him saying, We have found him of whom Moses in the Law and the Prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael's prejudices against this town are evident in his response. He said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Even though the Bible presents Joseph as a righteous man and Mary as a godly woman, they were part of the lowly and despised ones in Israel. Israel. Mary acknowledges her lowly position in the Song of Praise she wrote after meeting with Elizabeth. She said, My soul magnifies my Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. The Gospels further make it clear that Joseph and Mary were poor. When they offered purification sacrifices, they could not even afford a lamb. Instead, they presented a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary was a woman, and women were second-class citizens in Israel. Although she was part of the royal lineage of David, she was a lowly and despised person. beloved, it is to this woman that the Lord showed his favor. Luke 1 tells us that the Lord sent the angel Gabriel to make two birth announcements. The first announcement was made to Zechariah while serving in the temple in Jerusalem. Zechariah was told that his wife, Elizabeth, would have a son. Zechariah struggled with his message because he was an old man. And his wife was far past her childbearing years. Because Zechariah did not believe, the angel told him he would not be able to speak until his son was born. Six months later, the angel Gabriel was sent to make another birth announcement. This time, he was not sent to Jerusalem, the capital city where the Lord's temple was. Instead, he was sent to an obscure town called Nazareth. In Galilee. Luke tells us that Gabriel was sent to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and that the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came to bring Mary a message that would be even harder for her to believe. Before Gabriel brings his message, he greets Mary. He said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he was startled and gripped with fear. Mary does not appear to be frightened by the angel's visitation. Instead, she was greatly troubled at his words. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary found this a strange and perplexing way for an angel to greet a young woman like her. In the eyes of the people of her day, she was a nobody, a poor woman living in humble circumstances. And yet the angel addressed her in such exalted terms. Gabriel said that Mary was highly favored, Jerome's Latin translation says she was full of grace. The Roman Catholic Church has distorted this to mean that Mary is full of grace and that she's thus in a position to dispense grace. Mary is held up by Roman Catholics as an object of worship. She is prayed to as a mediator between God and man. But, beloved, this is a wrong interpretation of Luke 1.28. The word that expresses that Mary is highly favored or full of grace is a passive verb, not an active one. Mary is not a dispenser of grace. Rather, she is a recipient of God's favor. Gabriel adds the words, The Lord is with you. It's no wonder that Mary's troubled by the angel's words. Being addressed in exalted terms and told the Lord was with her implies that like the great men of the Old Testament, she was being chosen by God and empowered to serve him in some special task. Mary's humility shines through. Who was she? that the Lord would come and speak to her in this way? How was she so highly favored? What calling did the Lord have in mind for her? Gabriel tries to put Mary's fears to rest. He said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel goes on to announce, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Thus Gabriel announces the birth of the coming Messiah. Gabriel's message to Mary was that She was highly favored among women, for she'd been chosen by God to be the mother of the promised king. She was charged to name him Jesus, which means Savior. Through Mary, the Lord would cause his son to sit on the throne to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jesus would be an eternal king. He would reign over his kingdom forevermore. Because of the Roman Catholic error of worshipping Mary and praying to her, we've often shied away from giving her the honor due to her. Yet we should note that our text says that this humble woman from Nazareth was highly favored by God. Only one woman, out of the countless billions that make up the human race, could be the means by which God would be manifest in the flesh. The Virgin Mary had the privilege of being that one. Remember, beloved, it was by one woman that sin and death were brought into the world at the beginning. Eve took the fruit of the forbidden tree and ate and by doing so brought mankind under God's condemnation it's also by the childbearing of one woman that life and immortality were brought to light when Christ was born it's no wonder that Mary is called highly favored and blessed for it's through the birth of her son that God would bring Forgiveness of sins, and everlasting life for us, his people. Beloved, this is the good news of salvation. I know you've heard it many times before. But does the gospel still grab you? Can you begin to even imagine God's wondrous work of sending his Son in human flesh? that God came down to dwell among us. Our majestic, glorious, all-powerful and awesome God was willing to give up all the blessings of heaven to live among sinful people. He came with the express purpose of saving his people from their sins, of redeeming us from the mastery of Satan and from condemnation and the eternal suffering we deserved. Praise God for his wondrous works. Glorify him for his redeeming grace. For by showing favor to Mary, the Lord worked out his plan to grant us forgiveness of our sins and life eternal. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider how Mary accepts her calling with faith. We spoke earlier about how Zechariah struggled with the message that Gabriel brought, but how he and Elizabeth would have a son in their old age. Zechariah did not respond with faith. He doubted. He asked the angel... How can I be sure of this? Now Mary is faced with an announcement that would be even harder to believe. She, as a virgin, is going to give birth to God's own son. How would she respond to this message? To help Mary to believe that God would accomplish a great miracle through her, The angel told her about Elizabeth. He said that Elizabeth was going to have a child in her old age. From a human perspective, that was not possible. Yet the angel explained, nothing is impossible with God. By these words, the Lord wanted to remind Mary of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah doubted she could conceive in her old age. But the Lord asked her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Literally, the Hebrew asks, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The Bible makes it clear that Isaac's birth is one of God's wondrous works of redemption. In Mary's life, God was going to work out an even more wondrous work. It is spectacular for a man who is 100 years old and for his wife who is 90 to produce and give birth to a son. By human standards, that's impossible. Yet the Lord worked a miracle to allow an old and barren woman to conceive and give birth to a son. In Mary's situation, the angel was saying, God is going to do something even more amazing. He's going to conceive new life in Mary's womb without the involvement of a man. She, a virgin, was going to conceive and give birth to a son. Even if Mary believed that God could cause her to conceive and give birth to his son, This does not mean the road ahead for Mary would be an easy one. She was unmarried, and yet she was going to give birth to a son. To have a child out of wedlock was severely frowned upon. It was true that she was engaged to Joseph, but his reaction to her pregnancy could be expected to be quite negative what man is going to believe his fiancée when she tells him she was expecting, and that it was not because she had slept with another man. We know from Matthew's Gospel that Joseph, being a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, but that he resolved to divorce her quietly. Mary faced extremely difficult circumstances, She knows people will have a difficult time believing her claim to be pregnant by the Spirit of God. She knows Joseph will likely leave her. She knows her friends and neighbors would probably brand her as an adulteress. She knows she would face mockery and ridicule. That according to the law, she could even be stoned to death for adultery. Mary faced life without a husband to support her. In those days, there was no government social support. She faced a very difficult future as the mother of Jesus. And yet, beloved, note Mary's faith response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me... As you have said. In faith, Mary makes a profound statement here. She is saying that she is the Lord's slave. In Mary's day, a slave was reckoned to be less than human. By law, a slave was classified as a piece of property. Slaves had no rights, the rights of a master were absolute over a slave. He could do with her whatever he wanted. Yet Mary adopts the status and attitude of a slave. A slave's calling in life was to serve his or her master. Slaves had no other purpose. A slave had to devote 100% of her time, energy, gifts, and talents to her master's service. Slaves were required to be obedient A good slave served well by heeding the words of her master, by doing what he said. Here, Mary was devoting herself to the Lord's service. She was expressing her willingness to follow the Lord's leading, to live before him in obedience. Besides saying, I am the Lord's servant, Mary adds, May be done to me as you have said. Is this resignation on Mary's part? Is she being fatalistic and dumbly going along with God's will for her life? Not at all. She is responding to the word of the Lord as a true, as an obedient disciple. Mary knows that her calling in life is to serve the Lord. She submits herself to doing what he commanded her. Do we, beloved, respond to the Lord's word in that way? The Lord wants every person here to commit him or herself to his service, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to take up our cross and to follow him. Boys and girls, the Lord Jesus wants you to love him and serve him. Are you willing to take Mary's words on your lips, to respond to God's call by saying, I am the Lord's slave. I will deny my own will. I will do what my master commands me. To do that, we need to know who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In his announcement to Mary, Gabriel reveals that Jesus is the Son of God Most High. Although he was in very nature God, he was willing to humble himself to take on our flesh and blood. Jesus Christ took on the very nature of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that to save us from our sins, to restore us to righteousness and life. He came as Israel's Messiah. He is our Savior and King. Beloved, out of thankfulness for the grace shown us in Jesus Christ, We're called to respond with a living faith, to believe the gospel message that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and Lord. It's through a living faith in the Savior Jesus Christ that God grants us His gifts. The forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and everlasting life. Do you believe the gospel? Is Jesus the source of your life, your peace, your comfort, and joy? For those who go through trials and sorrows, the Christmas season can be a stressful and lonely time. Our society tries to manufacture joy, but this often produces only emptiness and sadness. Do you want Christmas to be a joyous and happy time? Then focus on the wondrous work of God, in sending his beloved Son into the world. Focus on the willingness of Jesus to come and live among sinful people in order to redeem us and to reconcile us with the Father. Focus on the spiritual blessings we have in our Savior. Then this Christmas season will not be one of stress or unhappiness. Instead, we may share in the peace and the joy God gives to all those who are part of his family. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing a part of Mary's song, hymn 17, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 5.